You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is EE Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. This episode is sponsored by Renaissance, complete semiconductor solutions to enhance the way people work and live. Today, I'm joined by Kaushal Vora and Mo Doger from Renaissance to discuss AI and connectivity at the edge and endpoint. But first, today's EE Times Current highlights. 3D NAND can't change the laws of physics. With Optane mothballed and emerging memory still surfacing, the gap between 3D NAND flash and DRAM persists. Understanding the big spend on advanced packaging facilities. Leading chipmakers in recent years spent tens of billions of dollars on advanced chip packaging facilities. Sandbox using AI and hybrid metrology to cut costs and boost yields. The hybrid metrology tool promises to improve metrology accuracy for etch and deposition steps, ultimately reducing process technology development costs. Find all these stories and more on eetimes.com. And if you're on this episode's webpage, there are direct links to these articles. AI at the edge is no longer something down the road or even bleeding edge technology. Some consider it to be mainstream, but that doesn't make it any less complex. We're joined today by Kaushal Fora and Mo Duggar to discuss hardware and software components that are required to implement AI at the edge and how those various components get pieced together. We'll also discuss some very real use cases spanning computer vision, voice, and real-time analytics, or non-visual sensing. Kaushal is Senior Director for Business Acceleration and Global Ecosystem at Renaissance Electronics. With over 15 years of experience in the semiconductor industry, Kaushal's worked in several technology areas, including healthcare, telecom infrastructure, and solid-state lighting. At Renaissance, he leads a global team responsible for defining and developing IoT solutions for the company's microcontroller and microprocessor product lines, with a focus on AI and ML, cybersecurity, functional safety, and connectivity, among other areas. Kaushal has an MSEE from the University of Southern California. Kaushal, thanks for joining us. Pleasure is mine. Always happy to be in uh, such good company. And welcome to Mo Dogar, who is head of global business development and technology ecosystem for Renaissance, responsible for promotion and business expansion of the complete microcontroller portfolio and other key products. He's instrumental in driving global business growth and alignment of marketing, sales, and development strategies, particularly in the field of IoT, EAI, security, smart embedded electronics, and communications. In addition, Mr. Doger helps provide the vision and thought leadership behind product and solution development, smart society, and the evolving IoT economy. Mo, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. So we are super excited to have you both on today because of, obviously, the tremendous hype around AI right now. It's everywhere. Can you demystify some of that? And if you would, I'd love to start by talking about the difference between generative AI, things like ChatGPT that almost everyone is familiar with these days, and predictive AI. Yeah, I'll kick it off. What a great time to be in technology right now, or actually in the world we live in, right? So the AI is certainly everywhere. And I would say, actually, it's a bit more than a hype in some cases. So the question is great. How do we differentiate? What is the real distinguish between generative AI and predictive AI? 
So the generative is all about creating new content, right? It's about adding value for people in a way to save time. And on the other hand, if you look at predictive AI, it's about analyzing and making predictions. And most of the case time, you're talking about those intelligent endpoint or edge devices, whether in their homes or, or factories or wherever they happen to be who are collecting data all the time. You know, we, we live in this world that's full of sensors. So really, there are two different types that, you know, really face with and it creating huge opportunity for us. When you talk about generative AI, you're talking about, you know, uh, text or audio or video, and it's really helping to accelerate some of these uh, content that is needed. And it's kind of leverages on foundation models and transformers. And while on the other hand, if you look at the edge AIs, typically, uh, running on these resource-constrained devices that's collecting data and they have to make decision on real time in some cases and give feedback to the system or, or the network. And literally, you know, you can imagine billions of these endpoint devices, you know, are out there are actually collecting data and making decisions as well. What we are also seeing, if you're looking from a market perspective, I mean, huge opportunity out there if you look at generative AI, some of the market researchers predict anywhere, you know, if you look at around 2030, you know, under $190 billion worth of market being predicted on the edge AI, it's closer to maybe 60 to 100 billion. So it's really significant. Um, what I would also add is that probably the edge AI is a bit more mature compared to generative AI, but really the scale of acceleration and adoption is, is phenomenal. So I think exciting times uh, to be in the world of technology and seeing you know, AI to really add value to our lives and the, and the technology at large. Yeah, excellent points. Just to add on what Mo said, right? Um, I mean, the two types of AI are very different technically, right? Generative AI is, you know, tends to be running in data centers and in the cloud. It uses, you know, tera ops of, you know, performance and it uses gigabytes of memory storage, right? These are extremely large models that have been generalized to solve more general purpose problems like understanding language, understanding video, understanding images, right? One of the challenges we see with generative AI, although there's a lot of hype around it because of how consumerized it has become, is, you know, can we scale generative AI sustainably? Because it's extremely power hungry and it's extremely resource hungry. As Mo said, edge AI is definitely more mature. There is a lot of use cases on the edge that tend to be a lot more real time, that tend to be a lot more constrained, um, that can leverage predictive AI. And I think a balance between both the generative AI and predictive AI will eventually be, you know, where we will settle a few years from now. That's just a, you know, a prediction uh, based on some of the things that we're seeing. But absolutely, as, as Mo mentioned, from an edge and endpoint perspective, we're seeing tremendous traction. We're seeing traction across, you know, whether it's human-machine interfacing with voice, whether it's environmental sensing, um, you know, whether it's uh, predictive analytics and maintenance of machines, right? Anywhere you have sensors and anywhere you have engineering um, problems and waveforms and things like that, you know, there's applications for predictive analytics and predictive AI. One of the things that you mentioned there at the end was voice interfaces. And that gets me thinking about all those devices at the edge, most of which have no 
traditional text-based data entry capabilities. We don't interact with these devices in that way typically. So let's talk about the convergence of IoT and AI. What is artificial intelligence of things, AIoT, and what factors have made it possible today? Okay, great question, actually. So exciting times, you know, we have an IoT, which has been around for a while and somehow matured, and we got the AI coming in and adding value. And the two powerful technologies are coming together and giving us a very high value when it comes to connected systems. And I think the other thing that's happening also is that in this exciting time of technology, we have, uh, you know, the IoT and 5G and AI kind of coming together and accelerating in terms of the maturity, you know, at a similar time and really providing us a big value. And to me, I always say this, these sensors that are out there are generating a lots and lots of data and we need to turn that data into revenue, right? This is where the AI coming together with IoT is able to solve real world problems. You know, whether you're thinking about a, um, a sensor at the factory for all, which is, you know, looking at some vibrations within a machine, maybe running a motor control, motor drive system, perhaps indicating there is some sort of a failure. It can help us on that prediction to maybe save a big downtime down in the factory. It's a real problem solving where you're able to generate new revenue stream, but at the same time, make a big saving as well. And the other thing I would say also is when it comes to IoT, you know, you talk about the products and sensors and, and, and devices that's connected. But when we talk about the combination of AI, in a lot of the cases, these sensors or the endpoint devices may not be always on or not be connected to the cloud. So there's a significant need to be able to develop very optimized models and uh, algorithms that's going to be able to run on those constrained devices and make those real-time decision-making. So together, AI and IoT is, is adding uh, a significant value and bringing a big opportunity uh, for everybody involved. Yeah, and I think what's going to really happen is a drastic shift in the way we've thought about architecting intelligence in the network, right? I mean, if you think about the IoT, traditionally, all of the intelligence was concentrated in the cloud or in the data center or the core of the network. And any machine learning or AI that had to be run at the other layers of the network, like the edge or even within the endpoints, a query had to be sent up to the cloud. And then the round trip time latency was something that the application would have to tolerate. If you think about scaling AI at the more resource-constrained layers of the network, which is the edge, the endpoint, and the continuum of the edge, this is where for AIoT to be successfully adopted, the intelligence model needs to be shifting to a more decentralized intelligence model. This is where you're going to see a lot more capabilities or intelligence being embedded right at the edge and within the endpoints to do local inferencing, local classification, local regression models, and things like that for a broad range of applications. And that is where a drastic shift in terms of decentralizing the intelligence is kind of a need for the day and, and already something that the ecosystem overall is working on. You mentioned that travel time, sending data from these devices into the cloud or wherever else the processing is happening. Can you talk a little more about that and some of the other advantages that you see of that decentralized intelligence model? Absolutely. 
traditionally, when we've thought about AI, right, we've thought about things like computer learning or natural language understanding. When we talk to our, you know, Alexas and Siris, these are all backed by powerful cloud-based intelligence. For a human-based query, waiting a few seconds is okay. But say you have an application that's time critical or even mission critical, something that's running, um, you know, a motor in say a multi-million dollar industrial equipment and the failure of that motor can be catastrophic. In order for machine learning to classify that particular type of anomaly, you just cannot expect the inferencing to go back to the cloud and come back. And there just is not room for tolerating that kind of round-trip latency to the cloud. And that's where we're seeing a lot of interest in packing these applications into these devices. Now, what kind of devices are we talking about? We're talking about devices that have significantly reduced compute capacity, right? We're talking about, uh, in most cases, hundreds of megahertz, in some cases, uh, you know, low gigahertz type of compute range. We're talking about significantly low memory capacity. We're talking about, you know, megabytes of memory in some cases, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. And then significantly constrained RAM capacity as well, which is the real-time memory that's required to actually run the model uh, and run the inferencing. So we're talking very different constraints here from a system level. And therefore, the AI and machine learning models that have to be deployed and trained for these kind of applications have to be working within these constraints and doing all of the inferencing locally. A lot of these applications may never even connect to the cloud. I mean, a classic example I'll give you, right? We were working with a customer that was trying to deploy machine learning into a metallurgy and mineral processing application. Now, these are multi-million dollar metallurgy equipment that is sitting in a very remote location, often even not accessed by humans. And in some cases not even connected. There's not even infrastructure to connect that uh, piece of equipment to the cloud. So we've been able to deploy lightweight machine learning uh, in the form of, say, a couple examples I can think of as regression models to detect the, the thickness of a shield that is used to filter the ore. And that vibrates when the ore is basically shaking, right? And with certain types of vibrations, that shield can be compromised. So we've implemented machine learning in, in the form of a regression model to basically detect that anomaly. Another example is where we've implemented uh, a classification model to detect a harmful tramp in the overall mix. And, you know, tramps are, are very important to detect because harmful tramps can cause a lot of nightmare and uh, disruption in mining and metallurgy overall, right? So being able to detect those kind of foreign components through a classification engine, uh, again, is all done remotely and it's all done, uh, you know, at that endpoint running either on a microcontroller or a, or a lightweight microprocessor. So these are classic examples and there's hundreds of other examples in the industrial space where, you know, local inferencing is the only way to practically implement machine learning, you know, uh, because the applications are just so time sensitive. Not to mention the security concerns with transmitting information, right? Absolutely. Um, the, the other inherent advantage of running inference locally is it takes away the need for transporting data, you know, back and forth in the network. Because you have a, such a controlled transport and flow of data through the network, your security posture is significantly simplified. And a lot of these endpoint devices today, if you look at you know, microcontrollers, microprocessors from Renesas, we have built-in root of trust capabilities 
in hardware. So your machine learning algorithm could be tightly coupled to the root of trust in hardware and therefore significantly reduce any threats from a malicious attacker or any sort of hacker or whatever. So not only security, but even data privacy concerns are significantly alleviated when we look at uh, local influencing and running things at the edge locally. Looking at this broadly, how do you think about AI from a systems perspective? So I think if you think about from a system, think about a typical IoT system, which is doing more than one thing. So think about, for example, a, a connected a system on a factory floor that's collecting some data from, let's say, manufacturing line and sending it back to the central control panel. You, you have an interaction of a human machine interface technologies. You need to have connectivity, whether it's wired or wireless, and security, as Kaushal also mentioned earlier. So really, when we're looking at system, AI has to not take into account all of this uh, different diverse set of technology to be able to then you know, add value and, and do predictions. One of the areas which is really important is power consumption. Now think about it. One of the reasons why the endpoint or edge AI is really accelerating at a phenomenal growth is that a lot of these devices are able to make decision on the device itself. What this means is that they are not turning on the radios in terms of transmitting data or sending data through real-time Ethernet around the factory floor. This means that the device on time is much lower. So the overall power consumption is, is very low, actually creating a very sustainable AI solution. From a system perspective, if you then go deeper into the system of um, AI, then you're looking at technologies in the vision space, for example, you know, you're able to, whether it's the security system to be able to you know, detect a person, validate, you know, make sure that's the right person when you're giving access to it, whether through the image itself, the facial recognition, voice signatures, and then as well as sort of, you know, real-time analytics. So really it's a very diverse and wide range uh, of technologies that needs to work seamlessly together in a system where AI can be applied to do prediction, uh, improve the overall system, and give back basically system level efficiencies to the segment where it's operating in. Yeah, efficiency really feels like the key word there, you know, cutting down on network traffic and power consumption. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little more about what each of you are doing in your roles at Renaissance and how the organization as a whole is addressing AI as we move into the AIoT. We are really at the forefront trying to enable our customers across industrial, consumer, infrastructure, automotive, really a very diverse set of uh, industries that we operate in is providing them a solution all the way from data movement, that's connectivity, sensing, analog and power cable, really providing a complete chain of solutions that you know, and ultimately power the edge as well. And on top of that, our real vision the Renaissance has is how do we give back time to the developers in order to, for them to spend more time on their systems. One thing we need to also consider is that the embedded engineers that we are empowering to add AI, you know, may not be data scientists or may not even be a connectivity expert. So how can we enable them through right set of tools, right set of uh, consultancy and training to be able to add AI to their uh, to their applications? 
So with that in mind, we have made a significant investment in terms of software tools, solution in our partner ecosystem, really accelerate the AIoT designs. We are leading the world, especially when it comes to time series or, or real-time analytics, where we're basically taking high-frequency data from different sensors and able to do prediction at the endpoint. And with that, you know, we made an acquisition of a company called Reality AI in 2022, who are pioneer when it comes to solve, you know, real optimized AI on the endpoint. And through this, we're providing a automated tool chain, which is a full auto ML capability to be able to collect the data, really optimize and classify the data, you know, in a way that able to fit within those resource constrained devices uh, that really helps. For example, one of the appliance customers uh, who had a bit major issue where they wanted to detect an out of balance um, you know, situation or status within a washer or a dishwasher application. Now, they were using an accelerometer in that design, a real hardware sensor, to be able to detect the out-of-balance condition. That was adding around $3 to their bill of material. And what we did was we basically took that data, you know, we looked at the, the current and voltage fluctuation from the motor itself using our reality AI tool chain and developed a model where we can we were running more than 95% of accuracy, you know, doing that prediction. Wow. So without the hardware sensor at all in the picture anymore, yeah? Absolutely. You know, what we talk about is from Renaissance, how we can make AI a reality for customers. See, the people who are adding AI or ML capability are not going to add to their hardware. So what we're saying is you can not just add to the hardware you have, but removes. So ultimately, this customer is happy. You know, they have a significant cost reduction of bill of material, and they have a real intelligent application doing that prediction. And there are many other applications where this is really adding value. You know, I mean, remember, there was a customer recently, you know, where we basically, they wanted to predict the temperature difference in terms of the component that's used in a, in a battery management and a power tool. So the issue is that stopping the battery from discharging when it overheats during the discharge time, that means the battery have a much longer life as well. And in this case, the thermal model is critical as it helps to protect. At the same time, it gets a accurate current measurement as well. So traditionally, customers were using, in this case, they were using um, a simple MATLAB approach, not providing very sufficient accuracy. Again, we brought in our uh, reality AI solution running on a 16-bit, actually, a 16-bit R78 microcontrollers. Uh, and then we were able to really provide a very low-power solutions where they can actually predict these temperature changes and really keeping the health of that battery for that power tool. So, yeah, I mean, it's really amazing what's happening in that world. So that's just one area. And then, of course, uh, we have uh, the other area of voice and vision. Uh, perhaps my colleague can add uh, more to that. Yeah, you know, to expand beyond the real-time analytics and time series applications, um, Renaissance has made significant investments in the areas of computer vision and voice as well. If you look at the computer vision space, right, most of the applications rely on, you know, complex deep learning models as well as require very intensive data sets for models to be trained, you know, for commercial applications. 
And a lot of our customers today struggle with that as a design challenge is, first of all, where do we get the data set from? And secondly, you know, it's a very compute intensive process to train those models to meet certain performance criteria. So the approach that, you know, we're taking at Renesas is we're building a library of pre-trained models, right? These are models that have been trained to say 80, 90% accuracy. And then you can take these models and use them as a foundation to retrain them based on incremental data. And this is where if you go to renaissance.com forward slash AI, you will see a library of 30 plus pre-trained models that cover a range of different applications in computer vision. And Renaissance continues to invest and grow that library of models. On the voice side, we have applications all the way from voice command recognition that run on, you know, I would say resource constrained 16, 32-bit microcontrollers all the way to natural language understanding type um, uh, applications that are running on slightly higher end microcontrollers and microprocessors. And we're seeing tremendous traction for voice being used as human to machine interface uh, in broad spectrum of applications. And COVID exasperated that trend because people are now reluctant to touch things in public access spaces and voice just seems to be that natural medium to be able to control something. So across the broad spectrum of AI segments, whether it's real-time analytics or vision or voice, Renaissance has taken a very holistic approach of building relevant tools, building a strong set of application libraries and reference designs, and then also building uh, support models to make sure that our customers are successful um, and you know that they are uh, getting started and, and working with us and, and being able to successfully deploy AI. So talk to us a little more about bridging this divide between the the AI domain and the developer domain. That's really where kind of the rubber meets the road, right? So we have engineers who are experts in arithmetics into, you know, developing these complex embedded systems, uh, but they may not have the time or the expertise on the data collection side, for example, how to build those models. And with that in mind, remember what I said about, you know, Renesas wants to give back time to those developers. We have made a, a huge step forward where we're bringing the AI domain and the embedded domain together. So if you think about it today, you know, a customer has to develop an AI model using some sort of tool on one of his screen or one PC, and, and he has to do his embedded development for whether it happens to be a healthcare product or an automotive product or industrial product, you know, when he's developing that code. How do we bring the two worlds together, right? So with that in mind, what we have done is we have put together, you know, where actually our reality AI tools, you know, we did a workflow integration with our eSquare Studio, which is our indicated development environment. And with this, it will enable the, the, the designer to seamlessly share their data and projects and AI code module between the two projects. Well, the way it's done is that, you know, you have basically in the eSquared Studio, we, we you put out, connect the projects, configure the board support package, uh, and you can collect the data through this uh, data collection module, and then put it through the Reality AI tools where you can train the model, optimize it. You know, remember we talked about these constrained devices, make it really re-optimized efficient, and then export that inference code into a embedded project through um, API context aware, where it goes into the embedded project, you then add it into kind of C file that goes into an embedded project. And then, you know, you can actually develop a code and deploy it into an application. What this really means ultimately 
is that have a faster design cycle for AI application at the endpoint and for the IoT networks. And we are providing with this a lot of support, application nodes, training modules to get those embedded engineers start developing AI models seamlessly and quickly. You're enabling your customers, it sounds to me, to focus on what they know best. And you're providing these tools that are just so completely out of the normal expertise of these organizations. That's got to be tremendously valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, just to just, just to add to this, you know, it's all about creating an opportunity for a more sustainable future as well. AI is great, you know, whether it's generative AI or predictive AI, we have to make sure it's sustainable and it's, it's able to add real value to consumers or developers of those embedded products. Ultimately, it has to be good for the wider world and the humanity. And I think that's where it really all boils down to. And that's the core of Renaissance, really making this world more smarter and more efficient, uh, you know, for a more sustainable future. It's exciting stuff for the folks working in that space to get to have such a powerful set of tools at their disposal. With that, I think we are out of time. And I just want to thank both of you so much for joining us today, sharing your insights on the industry at large, as well as as cluing us all in to some of the tools that Renaissance is making available to the marketplace. Uh, thank you, Mo, for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you, Kashal, for joining us as well. Thank you. That brings another episode of EE Times Current to a close. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guests, Kaushal Vora and Mo Dogger from Renaissance. EE Times Current is available through all the major podcast platforms, but if you reach us at our website, eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript of this episode along with other resources. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Stephanie Munoz. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening.